0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Get Out of Wrap. Today I'm with Sham Aziz and Sham is Head of Customer Service for Selfridges. Prior to that, he's been Head of Ops for Virto and Head of Global Customer Care for Net Porter. Uh, I would recommend you all check out an article on which is on his LinkedIn profile. Uh, it's, it's excellent um, and it kind of highlights his journey within contact centres and we'll talk about that amongst other things, today, um, and spent a kind of good 20 years in delivery of contact centre operating models. Sham, great to speak to you today. How are you doing? Yeah, lovely. Thanks. Um,
1: It's good to finally meet you. Uh, You and I connected, I think, something like four or five years ago, Yeah. um, actually, um, to do with work, and then we stayed in touch, and um, it's good. We've had multiple conversations over LinkedIn, And now we're sitting face-to-face, so um, yeah, thanks for having me.
0: No worries. Um, I I was fascinated by, there's a phrase within one of your articles that you were inspired to lead by your own entry in contact centres. So could you maybe sort of bring that to life a little bit?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, So I guess what I've come to realise over the last couple of years, um, getting out and about, meeting other people in the industry, is that almost everybody I've met, We'll say they fell into the contact centre um, and that's exactly what happened to me. At the time, I didn't realise that it was happening to other people. I thought I was the only one. I felt special. Um, <laughs> I'm probably a little less special now, but um, I, I fell into it and um, I started off by picking up the phone and talking to customers and would you believe it, giving out bank balances over the phone. So um, that was many years ago. And um, it was something to do. It paid the bills. And then uh, as life progressed, I realized quite quickly that in order to do more with life, I needed to uh, do more at work. And um, I was just inspired. I had a manager who took an interest in me. Um, She took me off the phone. She tried to figure out why I was doing what I was doing. Um, And I guess it was just having somebody guide me. Um, and just sort of show me that you can achieve anything if you put your mind to it. Um, That almost sounds slightly too motivational. Um, Well,
0: what was it about you then that kind of um, made her kind of single you out? Was it just how you conducted yourself? What was it about your work?
1: Uh, It's interesting, actually. I I guess what happened was boredom kicked in. So in terms of contact centres of the past, and maybe it happens now, Um, very heavily stats driven so as an advisor it was often how many calls you took how much rap time you had um, your handling time and um, I guess I was just very good at playing that game and just taking the most calls, the lowest handling time, almost no rap I would type notes as I was talking to customers Um, so I was achieving all the metrics I was asked to um, and therefore at that point I was then saying give me more I've Mm. achieved everything you've asked me to. Um, And at that point, and especially in that environment, often the best advisor would go on to become a team leader. The best team leader would go on to become the customer service manager, um, regardless of whether or not they had a skill set to do those roles. Um, And often I I would try and play that game, do everything I had to do to get to the next level. Um, And I guess she just took me aside and said to me, what what is it you want to do? Um, And just treating me more than just as a number at that moment in time, um, that inspired me. I just thought, actually, she cares what I think. Um, Her name's Jackie Green, wonderful lady. Um, And um, she gave me an opportunity, she gave me a chance. She took a chance on me. um, In a world where sometimes it's scary and difficult to make mistakes, um, she made me feel safe. Mm -hmm. And so from then on, I thought, I need to pay this
0: forward. And that then has stuck with you kind of throughout your career in terms of, so what, what is it that you now kind of look for? Um, what What is it you identify and how do you approach that kind of nurturing of talent then, if you like?
1: Uh, so really fortunate to work within great organisations. Um, currently here at Selfridges, uh, we're heavily values-driven. You'll hear lots of people talk about that all the time. Um, But the values that that drive me are around people first. Um, And in the end, we'll get to all the other good stuff. So uh, having been given the opportunity to lead, um, it's a responsibility. It's not a given. It's not owed to me. I can't just walk into this role. I have to earn it. And um, I continue to try to earn it every day. And usually that's with my team and just giving them the same opportunities I've had, trying to open the right doors, ask the right questions, you know, go after the right projects. And um, I think if you look after your team, then your customers will be looked after.
0: Let's just go back actually, because I'm really interested around this kind of, um, again, we as we've spoken over the years, we have very similar backgrounds in terms of starting on the phones. Um, and the challenge that that kind of, The the challenge that is in that role, and maybe sometimes I think you don't have to have been on the phones to be able to lead. You know, lead really, really well. But um, remembering what that challenge is like, so you were kind of excelled in it, and you kind of bought into that ethos of what do it. However, you do anything, you do it. You know, as best you can. Mm. What was that um, transition like then from? advisor did you then was it then team leader
1: correct yes so um at the time this high street bank had a program called the future future leaders program um and therefore anybody that was highlighted as a future team leader uh was invested in um an external training company came in they put us through a number of different modules um that was all the rage in those days um internal trainers for whatever reason were never valued as highly as having somebody externally come in and teach you something. Um, so as part of the Future Leaders Program, we were taught about managing people, leading people. There was a deliberate use of the term team leader rather than team manager. Um, so it was all about behavior. Um, so we were given training on, on how to behave. Um, I was very young at the time. I was 21, 22. Um, so I thought I'd made it. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, The guy that knows it all. Um And I came back down to reality, to the ground, really quickly um, as I was thrust into looking after a team of 12 people and all 12 of them being older than me. Um, And immediately all my tricks, all my ways of taking the most calls and having the best handling time just didn't translate. I wasn't able to get that across. So um, I had to think differently. Um, I also, to pick up on a comment you made about not having to having taken calls or be on the phone to lead somebody um, I actually found that the team respected that I had taken calls Mm -hmm. Um, and when other other future team leaders joined the business if they had come from the outside in and hadn't previously worked in contact centres they had a harder fight they were Mm -hmm. immediately written off you don't know our job you don't know what it feels like Um, so having been through those years of taking calls and being on the phones Um, it meant that I understood the pressure that people were under um, and I just started to try and put myself in their shoes now that might be a little bit difficult if I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of the best person on my team which at the time was uh, a lady in her 50s who was a grandmother Uh, at that point I was still living at home so um, you know how do you do that how do you put yourself in the shoes of a real challenge uh, yeah um, but I, I just think it's almost obvious to say it but It is treating people like people and not getting caught up in um, some of the phrases that were thrown around at the time. The one that I heard, uh, which didn't sit well with me, but somebody quite senior had said it. So in my mind, I thought, well, it must be correct if somebody senior is saying it. And the phrase was, you leave your personal life at the door. When you're at work, you must be a professional. Um, And in my mind, I was grappling with the idea that surely you could still be professional and be yourself and not have to leave your personal life at the door. Mm. Um, And not least because it was really difficult to just turn off your feelings and emotions at the door and walk into your job. So uh, I think for me, it was about just embracing people as they were and not overthinking it.
0: I mean, that's fascinating because you can see a lot more now out there around people really questioning the concept of work-life balance. Yes. And again, like you, I think you look back and you see being a team leader, the good ones are able to address and speak to people and say, tell, tell me what's happening in your life that is then impacting naturally how you, how you show up at work. Um, just to go back on something, how, how did you overcome... Because I think there's a challenge that you verbalised around one of those first, and I, I'm sure there'll be lots of team leaders who have been high performers, who've wanted to progress, and I, I speak personally as well, one of the challenges as an initial team leader was the frustration that you believe everyone thinks, acts, and performs like you. Yes. And then having to referen- you know, recognise that that isn't reality, how did you kind of, talk me through that kind of, how did you then start to use those early days and, and mould that team and lead them? Um, so, my first
1: stab at it, I overshot it completely. <laughs> um, like every young jumped up, in inverted commas, um, leader. Um, I thought I'd arrived, I'd made it. They've recognised my hard work, um, which in reality was me taking 200 calls in a week, you know. It's... It, I wasn't moving mountains, but I would really thought I'd been recognised, so um, I overshot it, I started to get into the detail, I was sitting on top of people, I was looking at their stats, I was trying to figure out why they were taking 10 calls instead of 11 calls, I was looking at the handling times, I was side-by-side coaching, but it felt like spying, I I did everything I probably shouldn't have done, but... um, if I went back and tried to do it differently, I wouldn't. I would have done exactly the same because it was valuable learning quickly mm-hmm. after being um, not thumped, but verbally thumped by somebody in the team who said, just get off me. And at that point, I'd realised, hold on a minute, I've I've become the very thing that I don't want to be. Um, and so at that point, it was just trying to figure out how do you incrementally help people get there? Uh, today... You'll hear things like gamification and trying to motivate and incentivize the right behaviours. Uh, I guess I didn't have the vocabulary or the experience at that time to to verbalise it, but I understood quickly that what mattered to me didn't matter to everybody else. Just because I was able to do a call very quickly didn't mean somebody else could. And so I stopped trying to look at people in that way and just started to figure out together rather than turn up with all the answers Um, how could we incrementally improve Um, and actually over the years 78% did improve there was always 20% that didn't and I always took that personal but later on in life much older now married I have a child um, things have changed I, I view life differently and actually perfection doesn't exist and therefore trying to go after perfection or trying to make sure that everybody is the best version of themselves at the exact same time in my team when they worked for me, it just wasn't attainable. And so it was just easing off a little bit and trying to make sure that the internal customer, so my team, and the external customer were getting what they needed. And if it was 80% of something, then it was 80% of something.
0: And did that um, did that then translate into let's take the next step then so then you managing team leaders what kind of challenges did that bring for you and what you know can you maybe just talk through that period
1: yeah absolutely um so i guess almost history repeating itself um my first ops role that i took on was a startup business um an incredibly famous online grocer um ocado.com one of the best businesses i've ever worked for um that was my first opportunity of becoming an ops manager. Um, I was promoted within a team of team leaders. Um, and of course, myself and all of the other team leaders all felt we should have had that job right. So, um, was I it was, a competitive environment then? Um,
0: I would it's say... In th- a friendly way, you know, there's nothing wrong with competitiveness.
1: Sure. Um, I'd like to say most of it was friendly. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think competition sometimes is not necessarily the driver, but sometimes... Um, If you have outside influences or motivations, and in my case it was all about progressing in life uh, throughout my marriage and becoming a parent and uh, being able to provide for my family, Um, then I realised I had to progress. Um, It just turns out so did everybody else around me at the same time. So um, that drove competition, not necessarily because we wanted to one-up each other. Mm. Um, And so that was an interesting environment to have to then almost manage managers or lead leaders um, because of course everybody else that worked with me was already doing that role and then suddenly I was there to lead and manage them um, and it was tricky, it was tricky. Um, I've always I guess been thrust into roles quite early on in my career, uh, I've been given opportunities, I've had great managers who've um, given me that environment to to flourish and uh, sometimes when you're given enough rope, you can sometimes hang yourself. And so um, for me, it was always about learning. Um, and just put people first. It's it's cliche. Um, and if Mike, when it listens to this, he's not going to be happy about some of the stuff I'm saying. But um, uh, it's, it's all about the people. If you just stop for a minute and just talk to people, they'll often tell you what the problem is. And, um, you know, there's some that won't but you just need to know that you could go home knowing you tried
0: i think i mean you probably know and we have talked about this but i'm i'm fully into that kind of um that vibe about just we're all inhabiting the the world right now at the same time and if you happen to be in the same building same company uh, and you're in a leadership position stopping and talking to people and getting to understand them I can't think of anything more important more important than that and your kind of um view of people and values is one I I absolutely kind of um resonate with before we started recording you um you spoke about um it seemed like this has been a quite a nice progression based on your hard work and your people skills mm. but before we were recording you spoke about um, not getting a role that you thought you deserved, what was, you know, can maybe you just mentioned that?
1: Yeah sure, so um, it was the very first time I realised um, in my basic mind I did a calculation that said if I'd like to buy my next car I need to either do more hours or get more per hour um and uh looking around where i was at the time taking calls uh, obvious progression was team leader role and so there were four vacancies if i remember correctly at the time and uh because i was the best advisor on the floor um hashtag humble brag um <laughs> i i just figured that i'd turn up to work there'd be a letter on my desk and somebody would be like congratulations you've made it you're the next team leader um it turns out that didn't happen surprise surprise um I didn't even apply for the role. I just figured it was mine. Uh, I thought everybody knew I was taking the most calls. I thought everybody knew that my handling time was the best. Now that I look back on it, I was clearly rushing people off the phone. But um, at (laughs) at the time, having the best handling time was um, encouraged. And so um, that just hit me quite hard, actually. I was very young, and I was just thinking, oh, all this hard work has been for nothing. And I went, I didn't go through self-doubt. I actually became annoyed and said, well, if people don't value me here, I'll just go elsewhere. Um, Turned out I didn't go elsewhere. I was just moaning. Um, And the next opportunity that came up, I was the first person to apply for it. Um, I used to work the evening shift right at the beginning. So I saw the vacancy posted at 5 p.m. Most people had gone home at that point. I'd put my vacancy in by 5 past 5. So um, I then went for the interview. And I got that role, but that earlier setback, in inverted commas, because clearly I hadn't even applied, so the setback was all in my mind. But what that did was it just triggered a different thought process for me, and it was mindset for me. I I just looked at things differently. And um, once I did that, once I started to assess the situation differently, many more doors opened, many more managers were willing to put if you like, they neck on the line for me, um, give me the opportunities. Um, and then as I started to repay those uh, with results, it then snowballed and one thing led to another and ultimately I've ended up here.
0: And here being, you know, a world-renowned brand, you've worked in a few of those and you, with this, you know, your very senior position... Um, now, for people that are listening that m- might want to aspire to be where you are right now, um, what's the advice that you would give? What are the kind of because it seems mindset's really important, but what does that actually mean?
1: Um, so, if I had to try and put it in a practical way, I would say, for me at least, um, and I'm happy to be challenged on it, um, get as much experience as you can in as many different things as you can. Um, and whilst I don't undervalue somebody doing the same role for the last five years, if you had five different roles in five years, I'm very likely to be drawn towards you than I am over the other person. Um, why? At a basic level, I would just say if we take the five years in five Mm. different roles, um, that's five different sets of customers, internal, external, different sets of stakeholders different barriers that you have to figure out how to get around Um, and therefore the growth opportunity within that I'm being very generous right now Mm -hmm. but the growth opportunity with having to work that out over and over again every year for five years versus perhaps somebody that's just very very good at their role but the same role for the last five years Um, I just think uh, the problem-solving skills will probably be at a higher level for somebody that's moved around more often. Now, there'll be a handful of recruiters throwing down their iPhones listening to this iPad um, iPod podcast saying, hold on a minute, you're going to butcher your CV if you've got five roles in five years. Um, I disagree. If you look at my CV, um, although it's been through a number of redundancies... Um, I've worked in many businesses over the last five years um, and it's never stopped me getting the next opportunity. Um, I'm able to talk from experience. I'm able to talk about different sets of customers, different environments, different challenges. And often if there's a plan A and a plan B, I'll often turn up with a plan C. I
0: think that's probably going to be reassuring to people because it kind of shows that there are people in positions where they're able to recruit that look past some of these more let's say, tired um, tired views of what a, C, what a CV should look like. Mm. And as long as you are learning from each of those roles, then why wouldn't you um, benefit from that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm not a recruiter. Um, as part of my role, I do recruit. Over the years, I have recruited many people. Um, and whilst I wouldn't necessarily just base my decision on one person working in one business mm. versus five, um, I often try to look past those things. I'm less concerned about whether somebody has a degree or not. Um, uh, I actually I actually remember going to an interview many years ago and um, I was talking to a recruiter who asked me if I regretted not having gone to university and not completing a degree. Um, and at the time my response was something along the lines of I've run very large contact centres and of the hundreds of people that have worked for me Some of them were PhD students. Um, So having not completed college myself, um, I'm less bothered about those things. Um, For me, it's about the connection. It's about how people feel and how they can articulate what it is they want to do and and bring to your business. To be fair, you could train almost anybody to pick up the phone, send an email and use a system. Um, I'm not recruiting for those things.
0: It seems to me that kind of people being themselves um is important to you that uh I don't know why but I kind of recoil a little bit from the word authenticity because it's it is it's one of those words that's kind of sprinkled all over LinkedIn at the moment however yes. it's a it, there's not a better one than that um you're kind of a lot of what you're saying is about that just being authentic and being yourself but would you suggest again just to kind of come back to this mindset and did Did you have a plan as to what you wanted to do? Were you driven in that sense? Um,
1: I was driven by my home life. So the idea that I needed to um, get onto the property ladder, um, the idea that I wanted to become a parent, um, and just driving towards that uh, meant that everything I did at work was uh, to the fullest to fund that lifestyle. And so it wasn't any more strategic than that. I didn't sit there and think, right, I'm going to become the best contact centre manager in the world or you know, I'm going to travel here and there and, and do these things. It was all uh, connected to providing a better home life for myself and my family. Um, it just turns out that the people that took chances on me, the environments they put me in, the projects that I came up against... Um, all those things added to my experience and I was then able to use that experience at the next role and then the next role after that so um, it was almost set up for me to be good in inverted commas at my role Um, I hadn't planned it that way I just I don't like to use the idea that I took pride in my work because I would argue there isn't really an alternative you you either want to work or you don't Um, But I just tried to do a good job. Um, And if I didn't, trust me, there were managers out there who were ready to tell me.
0: (laughs) And how how important was that then? Because you've referenced a lot of people that had kind of um, key influences on your career. How important was that, kind of both that and also you mentioned there, was that kind of clear feedback, right? Yeah. Was it people keeping you on the straight and narrow? In some cases, yes.
1: Um, In other cases, it was all about control. Um, And so sometimes, you know, uh, a younger version of me might have been slightly shy and allowed somebody else to take control of the situation um, and perhaps treat me in a way that I'd never dream of treating anybody else. Um, we've all got one of those horror stories inside us. Um, this
0: version of me now wouldn't put up with it. Um, I think life's too short. And- do, you, do you think that, because um, I can really, that, that resonates with me around... Times when you've uh, not stayed quiet because very quickly in your mind, thinking personally, very quickly in my mind, I've thought, I really need this job. And if I stick my head out here, um, you know, I've worked in some really kind of maybe cutthroat places in the past. And I've thought, I think they're wrong. I want to say something, but I'm not going to because of fear yes. fear of consequences that probably aren't even real
1: yeah in some cases the consequences aren't real you're right um in other cases they're almost far too real Mm. um as i've gotten older it's a weird place to be in because i have more responsibility now than i've ever had um i have a six-year-old son and um uh therefore me walking around fighting the man if you like and trying to um or the system and trying to say what I really think and believe if that sees me out of a job that's going to be a bit of a problem Mm. Um, but I think if you are true to yourself and that internal compass of yours is pointed in the right direction so a real example of that would be if we are making a decision that affects customers and I think it's the wrong one then I need to figure out how to articulate that and I need to speak up because ultimately,
0: modern markets require modern investment approaches. And with Yield Street, that's what you'll get. Explore wealth growing investments in art, real estate, venture capital, and more, with minimums starting at just $500 and targeting annual yields of up to 18%. Discover the difference a diverse portfolio makes and trade volatility for stability with Yield Street. Visit YieldStreet.com to get started. That's YieldStreet.com.
1: If customers lose, then will end up losing anyway so there's there's that vicious circle of um going with somebody's gut instinct versus a bit of data versus the consensus um yeah i'm i'm less afraid to speak my mind
0: and again so that um that kind of the inf- we were just talking before we can came- i dive i took us off on a tangent um, That's all right. about the influence of your um previous managers and that kind of um development of for you and how does that now manifest itself in a higher position of responsibility does that through kind of encouraging mentorship and that kind of thing or
1: yeah so I've always had a place in my heart for mentors um, I've had a few over the years um, interestingly the first few mentors were suggested to me um, and I guess later on I felt selecting my own mentor um, just gave me more benefit and I deliberately went out to look for mentors who were different to me um, and I went for people who um, I could see something in them that I admired that I aspired to learn more about Um, and if anything all the mentoring sessions I've had have been having a coffee and a chat It's, it's not the most formal mentoring session but It's that soundboard, being able to just have a chat with somebody who perhaps has been there and done it. And in other cases, sometimes they haven't, but they ask the right questions, which get the cogs turning. And then you start to see solutions when previously it might not have been that obvious. So um, I don't know that I'm in a position to mentor anybody just yet, um, but um, I have a mentor today and um, I'd recommend... For anybody that wants to progress in whatever it is they want to progress, um, make friends and get yourself a mentor.
0: Oh, definitely! I'm sure there'll be plenty of people that would want you to to mentor them. Because um, I think about you know we'd be sometimes I feel like we're specifically talking to people like you and me who've fallen into the world of contact centres mm-hmm. and fallen in love with it that they could kind of pick your brains and help navigate through what can be a a great career um what has it been about the contact center world that's kind of kept you within it um it's odd
1: i guess just at the beginning it was um it was by accident but once i'd fallen into it referencing earlier when i said to you that i just understood the system and I took the most calls and I had the best AHT, all all those things, um, I I just felt that I was good at my job and so therefore it was fun. Um, I enjoyed the open plan environment of a contact centre, I enjoyed working with hundreds of people on different shifts and being able to meet all weird and wonderful people. well, I don't know if I can say that they're weird, but... Um,
0: there might be people saying the same about you no, now, so it doesn't um, matter, does it? I would, I would wear that badge with pride, <laughs> yeah. actually.
1: Um, that's, uh, I'd, I'd love to be described as weird. Um, <laughs> I'm mostly known for um, dad jokes, um, so uh, being described as weird would be a compliment. Um, yeah, I just enjoyed the people aspect. Being able to work with people in an open-plan environment um, being able to talk in between calls, um, you know, waiting in wrap for an extra 10 seconds to finish that little conversation yeah. with somebody sitting opposite. Um, we've all been there and done that. Um, the environment and, I guess, the culture uh, in a contact centre is very different to anywhere else you might work. So um, if you have the opportunity to go and visit a contact centre, um, you should absolutely do it. And even if you have the opportunity to work in one as an experiment to take calls um
0: i would say do it it will just open your mind that's brilliant thank you sham um even though some people may suggest that i don't there's not much planning that goes into these uh podcasts there is some and one of the things that you were very keen to um talk about and we have talked about in the past is kind of um advisor motivation and and performance um what what's your what's the, your view on that what are the things you wanted to share on that uh, so I guess it was uh,
1: to just warn against balance um, I sit in many meetings and we look at stats and how many calls have been taken and um, the intention is the right one it's there because we're trying to figure out that customers are being served um But it's a lot of pressure to put on somebody that perhaps in a shift is mostly speaking to customers that are not happy. Um, That could be draining mentally by physically as well, staying in a chair with a headset on. Um, And so I would just caution against, warn against doing everything by data. We live in the age of data. Big data now exists also and uh whilst it's important to look at that and understand that, just be careful that you're not motivating the wrong types of behavior you're not incentivizing somebody to try and get around the system because one thing about the contact center industry if there's a if there's a system or there's a code to break, they'll break it because yeah. um Uh, The same weird and wonderful people that I've uh, worked amongst um, are also incredibly good at working out how to solve things and get around them. So I think try to go after, incentivise and motivate the right behaviours but also don't underestimate um, how difficult a job it is to be on the phone and talk to somebody about the 50th delivery in that day Um, it's hard and so just a bit of appreciation for it. Uh, One of the things we did many years ago at Ocado, uh, every new starter in the business had to spend time listening to phone calls. That didn't matter if you were in the marketing team, if you were a driver, if you were working in strategy. You would come and spend a day on the phones and you would listen to customers. as I understand it, Starbucks had a similar model where everybody would learn to make a coffee. Um, Zappos, uh, over in the US, um, everybody actually went through customer service induction training and took calls, not just listened to them. And so this customer service as an as an attitude and as a department and uh, as a culture, um, you can't underestimate it. And so... Just be aware that when you want people to do that type of a role, the environment, the behaviors, um, you are very responsible for driving that. And so own that responsibility and um,
0: tread carefully. I love that because it's kind of like the implementation of um, your strategy is dependent on the delivery of people who could be at the end of their shift, or even if they're not at the end of their shift, just the cumulative impact, yep. if they're not in an environment and supported by team leaders and actually the wider culture of the company, then they're not going to be able to deliver that that strategy, are they? And I think that's kind of, again, another thing that you mentioned earlier was around the importance of culture and the culture of the places that you've worked in and you've been drawn to certain cultures yeah. but now in a role where you can influence and determine the culture, what, what does that mean to you? Uh, it's great, I always felt like I wanted to make a difference um,
1: and just by design I guess as you progress throughout life and become more senior, more people are willing to listen and be influenced by you, um, so again I said it earlier and I'll say it again, it's a responsibility it's not a given. Um, so I try to pay it forwards. I try to make sure that um, I influence as much as I possibly can um, in the contact center industry, uh, call center industry. The most uh, most people who know uh, you'd either have an in-house contact center, you'd have an outsourced contact center with a partner, or you might have a blended setup between the both. Um, and so it can be difficult to try and influence a culture in an outsourced provider. Um, but where I've been in that situation um I've used my position to try and influence that and do as much as we possibly could I look for employee opinion surveys um I want to read the verbatim I want to go and um get in there there was one contact center I visited um and they had very kindly set up for me to sit in and listen to some calls with uh, uh, a lovely lady there and um as I went to sit down, I stood back up and said, um, I do want to listen to calls with you, but you've clearly been selected for me. And then I pointed out to the floor and said, I'd like to sit with that gentleman over there. Um, and at that point, sheer panic on the faces <laughs> yeah. of those around me. Um, but, you know, to their credit, they let me go and sit with this other gentleman. I then went back and sat with the young lady as well. Um, and having been through that role in the past, it just, it just helps to just go back to the floor. Um, so that you're never too far away from
0: it. I love that. I love that. Doing some judging and things like that, it's kind of, and also being on the receiving end, that kind of, oh my God, they're going somewhere else. Yes. Um, <laughs> people might not remember this, but it, in my mind, it's always stuck as a martini moment, because it should be any person at any time Correct. they can sit with, and they're going to get some element, or you're, you're not afraid of what people are going to share, because I guess... That is a real, true indicator of what your culture is. Yes. Because we can all present the North Korean propaganda food shop that's just all made of cardboard. Yes. You, you you kind of want people to to go in and really experience your your contact center. So you kind of stand up in front of the floor and say, "Go anywhere, talk to anyone."
1: Absolutely. Um, I love that. Yeah, I think. Um you won't be able to hide it for long if you're trying to hide something, yeah. uh, especially in a contact centre. It's it is warts and all. Um, and having worked with a number of partners and vendors in the past, um, I like to go on site and spend time on site, um, and very quickly because I make myself accessible. Advisors will come and talk to me, um, and they'll tell me things, and they'll tell me what's on their mind and what they're doing, and what's working and what isn't working. Ultimately. I want to make sure that if there are barriers there that I can remove for the customer, I will. And more often than not, the barriers are for those advisors. And so, if I can remove those, then they'll go on to continue to provide excellent service. So it's a, it's a virtuous circle. And if with my influence I can remove those barriers, then I'd be crazy not to.
0: Do you um, do you think? Just interested in your kind of current role now around. Um, with the prestige of the brand, does then that equate to having to have higher standards, or is that of the standards that you try and instill kind of remain the same, but they just need a slightly different twist on them?
1: yeah, absolutely it's a bit I'll try not to use too many analogies. People tell me <laughs> I have odd analogies, but
0: uh, I love an analogy. Go for it <laughs> Well,
1: if you imagine that there's probably a hundred different ways to make a curry um, and in the end all that anybody is doing is making a curry. Um, I would argue that in terms of customer service standards everybody expects the best whether they're contacting Selfridges or they're contacting another brand. um, Everybody expects a standard, everybody expects a delivery on time, in full. Um, If they have a question they expect an answer, if they ring a number they don't want to wait, um, and so, we at Selfridges don't try and do anything different there. Um, what I think we do try and do is not take the textbook approach. So, computer says no. You've asked me X question. I have to give you Y answer. Um, no. The idea is to provide guidelines, not scripts, um, and give people direction and not boundaries. And and then therefore. Um, Most people who sign up for a customer service role, they actually want to do a great job and they want to solve the problem. So I see my job here at Selfridges is is to create the environment for them and then let them shine. They've been hired to shine. I'm not about to get in there and get in the way. So um, for me, it's about removing the barriers and um, providing service standards that are expected everywhere.
0: I love that. Because as customers, you can only think... You don't lower your standards when you're going in the um, shopping centre based on the store that you're going in, do you? Correct. I love that. Um, it, the the second point you make around giving people autonomy to be able is that to to be more flexible in trying to problem solve or deliver a, a service to the to the customer. Um, I, I I love that, but I know that um, people will say. Within that, if if you're widening the boundaries, how do you mitigate against people um, not delivering against because it's you know it's but you've given them too much um, freedom?
1: Yeah, that's a great point. So, uh, with great power comes great responsibility. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I think um, one of the things I've noticed over the years is that most environments become self-policing. Um, there are people who do a great job there are some people that don't do a great job and often the ones that are doing a great job will try and hold the others accountable and vice versa and so therefore um, I try not to worry about what might happen later um, in the view that together we'll figure it out Mm -hmm. Uh, nothing's insurmountable um, in the world of work in my mind and so therefore um, enabling people to, to do that um, and for some, it might not work, you know, um, especially in the global world of contact centres. If we come out of the UK for a minute mm-hmm. and start to look at the global contact centre workforce, um, having done training in different countries, I know that I couldn't go to some locations and say, do what you want, make any decision you mm-hmm. want for any customer you want. That's just too vague. Um, for, so for some, a matrix with a table with guidelines and Uh, specified amounts on what to do and how to do it um, would result in better service, whereas for some, that would be far too rigid. And so it's not a one-size-fits-all. It's just creating the environment where if somebody is comfortable enough to make a slightly different decision that enables great service, then go for it. Um, And if that's not the case and you're not there yet and you're not ready for it, that's fine. You're still doing a
0: great job. Carry on. That's great. the The experience of then um, working internationally. How were you always open to that, or how is it? How did it change your view then of um, the UK service proposition, contact centres, that kind of widening of your horizons? What kind of um, lessons or impact did that have? Um, it was quite interesting. London is incredibly
1: multicultural and I guess in any contact centre that you walk walk into, even if it's not specified, you're probably going to have half a dozen, maybe a dozen plus different mm. languages and cultures in there anyway, even if it's an English-speaking contact centre. Um, working internationally happened by accident and um, what it did was just highlight and I guess intensify those cultural differences so, given that culture does exist in London, uh, multiculturalism, um, it wasn't as intense as picking myself up and going to a whole nother location, dropping straight into a different norm. Mm. And so, um, all it did was intensify uh, that environment for me at that moment in time, which then made me sort of step back, assess for a minute, and then get into my straight, stride straight after and so um, if anything, that was another growth opportunity for me. It was a good reminder to um, stop, think a little bit. And um, again, one size doesn't fit all. So um, it, it, it was a great lesson.
0: How does um, within your role now and overseeing the customer contact for Selfridges, how, what's the impact or where do, where do you think things are going in terms of the combination of people plus technology? Um, so that's a really good
1: question. Um, so a combination of selfridges plus LinkedIn means that um, I often end up getting two types of contacts. One of them is from wonderful people like yourself. Um, and then the other one is usually from a salesperson who's <laughs> trying to sell me the next big thing. Um, and I guess they just have to trust that I'm already looking at those things um, otherwise I probably wouldn't be in this role um, so technology I think technology has moved on a lot over the years um, if I go back to my banking days um, I used to get questions on facts um, <laughs> yeah. so that was a while ago but um, and for those of you who don't know what fax is stop listening to this podcast um, <laughs> so uh, I guess uh, technology now has moved on so We're hearing buzzwords like AI, bots, and automation, and self-service. I would argue that there's a place for that everywhere, not just in the contact center world. But if you imagine for a moment that a customer picks up the phone and wants to know where their delivery is, um, there's probably a number of different ways to surface that in a self-serve option where um, customers won't mind tracking their own delivery. If there's a problem with that delivery, then of course at that point the the human interaction comes in and and in our world that would be the advisor taking over. But I see value in taking away repetitive tasks that advisors themselves probably have done for the last five shifts in a row. Um, And if we can automate that via technology and make it a little bit easier, if we can do what Apple did to Nokia (laughs) when they first bought out the iPhone, Um, For customers, then there'll be exponential change there. I will always see a space for somebody at the end of the phone who can provide comfort and be able to just reassure a customer. Once the world of tech figures out how to provide a bot that can um, do comfort, um, then we might have a different conversation. But um, Mm. uh, until then, I think there's a space for both.
0: There's always going to be the need for empathy, right? And Absolutely. And so as you kind of look, maybe look ahead um, with a keen eye on both yourself and what you do, uh, but also the industry as a whole, what kind of, what kind of excites you about the, the future? Uh,
1: so I think the slightly changing nature of, of service. Um, so it's not that it's new. There's always been a need for having product knowledge, whatever that product is. It doesn't have to be a fashion item, but um, it's helping people get over the line. Um, So often people look at reviews, they will read how other customers have experienced something. But nine times out of ten, even after reading multiple reviews myself before I buy something, I somehow always come up with a question that isn't answered there. Um, And So if I can get through to somebody who can answer that question for me um, and just help me make my mind up a little bit, I I think um, that's where it will end up. I think figuring out logistics, getting things to places on time, all those things will just continue to get better and better and better. It's the outliers that we hear about. Over 98% of things are delivered on time in full. Um, so it's it's a handful of percent that we often talk about that hasn't happened and the industry is moving along so fast in the logistics world that that will get solved and so I expect in the future fewer customers to be upset or unhappy but more inquisitive Mm. and just looking for advice and knowledge and the the quality needs to be right, it needs to be good Um, if somebody calls through and says I'm looking for these shoes, could you help me Um, having somebody at the other end who's plumbing expert is probably not going to work so well so uh, I think there's an element of uh, just helping people make up their minds and um, get them to where they're trying to go and for for yourself and for me um, I guess bringing that to fruition so um, we're all on a journey Um, and when I say journey what I mean by that is uh, dealing with today's environment of delivery, nature, calls, returns, calls, um, the bread and butter that most contact centres deal with and taking that and moving that into this knowledge, uh, product knowledge type environment. So uh, for me it would be to not just talk about it but to deliver that um, and just and continue to figure out how Customer service is not just a cost. Um, So you will have come across many finance directors over the years trying to justify budgets for customer service and and how it's a cost. And so I take it on as a personal responsibility for me um, to to change that, to work towards customer service being the advantage. Um, I mentioned Zappos once before, and I'll mention it again. their differentiator was customer service they didn't look at it as a cost they looked at it as an absolute necessary Um, and you know that business when it was acquired was doing over a billion dollars in sales they must have been doing something right so i think for me it's changing the mindset of customer service in the wider business Um, that's what i'd like to go after
0: and it's so is that that this is a considered an engagement center as opposed to a cost center.
1: Yes, absolutely. So I think um, we have to get away from that type of terminology when the end result is that it affects customers. Um, And if we are just looking at it as a cost and we're continuing to try and figure that number out and say, um, how much does this cost? um, Then we're never going to get to the true crux of it. Every CEO, MD, exec that I've ever spoken to often says customer service is the number one thing, it's the most important thing, it's our differentiator, it's the key competitive advantage. Insert any other buzzword there that you want. Um, That's ultimately not fully realised everywhere, so I I think we need to do
0: a bit more work. That's great. And I guess um, in conclusion, this is kind of, just really your opportunity to talk to the people who um, really engaging a lot with this podcast that might be just in their first management position or wanting to move again or progress. What, what would you kind of what would you want to leave them with in terms of how to approach that or words of wisdom?
1: Words of wisdom. Uh, I don't know that I have many of those. But, or a dad um... joke. Yeah, throw in a little dad joke. Um, When you're under pressure, it's really hard to come up with dad jokes. Um, But I I guess what I would say is um, there are many more opportunities today than there have ever been previously. Um, The old uh, cover letter plus CV plus application form, whilst it still exists, the world of LinkedIn has helped change that. It's made many more people accessible than ever before. Um, and I know through my own journey that I've uh, secured a number of roles via LinkedIn. Uh, some roles didn't actually exist as vacancies. And so don't be afraid to reach out to somebody. Um, you know, including self, yourself. Including myself. Uh, if I don't reply to you, then you'll know. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, don't be afraid to reach out to somebody. It's an email. It's not going to hurt. Um, and I guess for every hundred emails you send there'll be somebody that replies and takes a chance on you. So um, all is not lost.
0: Shamaziz, that's been brilliant. Thank you very much for your time. Martin, thank you again. Thanks, mate. And now the weather. Expect partly cloudy skies with an excellent chance of maximum
1: refunds. Wait, that can't be right.
0: Oh, but it is.
1: Who are you? I'm April. And we could see refunds raining down all tax season with people switching to TaxAct. TaxAct?
0: The tax filing software that makes it easy to file for less and get more.
1: New forecast.
0: It's sunny days ahead for everyone using TaxAct. Always happy to brighten your day. Switch to TaxAct today and start for free. See TaxAct.com for
1: details.